Shelby and Matt. We're back. We're, We're back again it. after our hiatus. I know. I, I moved to California and Matt is still talking to me. So it's a victory. I know. It's shocking. It's shocking. But here I am. I had really nothing else going on in my life. So I was like, <laughs> well, I guess I and can keep up the podcast. that's why I knew it was empty threats because... <laughs> Story of your life. It was empty um, threats all along. Everybody else, I'm just such a good actor. Everyone else was buying yes. it and kept messaging yeah. me and was like, "Wait, the yes. podcast is ending." And I was like, "No, you." No, fools. you love the drama. You I love do the drama. A bit. Literally, I saw some family over the last few weeks, and everyone was like, "Wait, are you guys ending?" Like Matt keeps <laughs> talking about. It. I'm like, "No, he's just, he is just talking. He's just chatting." <laughs> uh, well, how'd the move go? How's California? It was good. Um, So far, so good. I feel like I haven't really had a chance to like explore or appreciate, like, you know, to really exist in California yet because it was chaos with the move and getting pennies squared away in daycare. And then it was like unpacking because, you know, I can't exist with a single box unpacked in my space Mm -hmm. and um and then we went home for we went back to utah to visit some family last weekend so i really feel like nothing's changed but that's because Because you haven't left your apartment yeah (laughs) just uh, more of the same um but no the weather's been great um we haven't even eaten out that much. Yeah, but... I need you to figure out LA because I'm going to come for like a long vacation and like oh, okay. see people and okay. then like rent a car and go up to San Francisco. Like I'm going to do the oh, whole okay, California okay. Wow, expedition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I'm relying on you to like know all of the good restaurants oh, and okay. tourist traps and whatever. And Rob to take me to the gay bars to watch Drag Race. <laughs> you know, so I need you okay, guys perfect. to figure it out so okay. that come like winter... I can yeah. make my grand entrance into Ooh. Los Angeles. Okay, I love a good homework assignment, so mm-hmm. I will add that to the to the list. Um, thank you, thank you for not forgetting us as we fled cross country. Um, you know, three hours difference. It's the afternoon for me, evening for you. Uh, kind of a match made in heaven, honestly. So. I'm glad we got to do this because this whole week I've just been screenshotting different stories as my jaw's been dropping and like oh, yeah. there's just been so many delicious and depressing moments across the pop culture spectrum this week, I feel like. Yeah, it's been very chaotic. I mean, all of Hollywood is in chaos right now. I feel like yes. the lead story to discuss is the SAG strike that's going on yes. because it's like impacting every possible corner of the industry obviously the writer strike has been going on for a while we've talked about that a bunch um and the directors were also maybe going to go on strike but then signed a deal at the last minute and so it was really up in the air whether the screen actors guild which is all of the actors in hollywood would take some sort of bargain or whether they would go on strike as well with the writers on strike there's still a lot of production that can happen in hollywood because if something's already written Like, yes, you might need tweaks on the script or something, but it's like 
there's there's a buffer there because you can still shoot stuff. Yeah. With actors, if you don't have an actor, you're obviously not making a movie. You're not making a TV show. So basically all production is shut down with the exception of some like reality TV shows and news and things. And then on top of that, the actor strike involves all promotional activities for movies and TV. So even things that are finished, you know, such as like the Barbie movie. Uh, that went through a lot of uh, promotion, but then this past week they haven't been able to do anything. So there's still like some interviews and stuff that are left in the can from pre-strike, but all of the movies that are coming out in August, all of the new TV shows that are coming out this fall, like theoretically, if the strike is still happening, there'll be no promotion for that, which then leads to the question of will the studios even release those movies? Like will Dune 2 come to theaters if, none of the cast can do promotion for it. Like will Mm. movies go to the fall film festivals if none of their talent can go? Um, It's just all up in the air and real murky. And I feel like all of that distress and chaos is leaking into other aspects of Hollywood where people are just doing weird things. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, it was fascinating. I think, um, you know, the big headline was the cast of Oppenheimer like walked out of their London premiere in solidarity with the strike. Um, the summer I turned pretty had its second season meant to premiere Friday and they kind of released it a few hours early so that the cast could promote it before, <laughs> before the um, strike went into effect because one of the rules is like you said, they can't even promote on their socials. Like they can't, there's not been a call for, um, for us to uh what's the word we don't have to uh not go see movies or like what is that word i saw so somebody sent me a weird twitter exchange that was like between some random critic person who i had never heard of before and like apparently somebody from sag that was like yeah we would like journalists to do no promotion of these movies and like not review them or anything and i was sort of like that uh, you're like wait I, no 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 <laughs> well i'm just kind of like that's a whole like yeah i don't think that's been yeah. formally uh requested and i'm like that's a completely different sort of industry as well yeah. um and also with the uh you know sort of like when the writer strike went on and it was like well do we watch these shows like do we go see these movies because of the writer's strike. I feel like there's a lot of other guilds involved that aren't on strike that are involved in movies and TV. And not to say, you know, obviously I support the actors and the writers 150 million percent, but I'm also like, okay, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, it hasn't. I mean, it's like, I'm not going to not watch anything for the next four months. If this, like I'm all for power to the people. I'm all for like, you well, know, obviously. labor wins. Yes. And I think this socialism. is like, this is like a good example of kind of uh, the propaganda machine because I think mm-hmm. we've seen like um, spikes in this with like Scarlett Johansson suing Disney uh, during the pandemic for the rollout of Scarlett yes. uh, or for or Black Widow. Black Widow. And, um, and everyone, the, she was like, well, this wasn't in the contract. I need to be paid for what was put on streaming when I thought it would be I'd get a chunk of the theatrical release and Disney's answer was like to release her earnings so they're like oh look at this millionaire like asking for more money can you believe it 
and like even at the time it's like yeah this is kind of a weird look like it's it makes sense but you do look kind of greedy type thing and so they're trying the same thing here where like bob Iger is like you guys are being unreasonable like this is really coming at an inopportune time like oh my gosh and meanwhile it's like well you're being paid 27 million dollars a year to like I don't know, push papers through across your CEO desk, like not to diminish (laughs) management, but it's like, I think it's interesting to watch the kind of tides turn towards realizing that the makeup of SAG and WGA, they're not like these rich celebrities. They're not all Brad Pitt's and Anne Hathaway's. Like they're not all able to exist on one They're not all raking in million-dollar deals every movie. There's tons of actors, tons of backgrounds from background to cameos to whatever who are literally not able to, like, live. And I think this is such an empowering kind of cross-section of pop culture and, you know, reality (laughs) where people are like, oh, yeah, like, they should get paid for their work. And instead of seeing them as the ultra elite with like the faces of ScarJo and whatnot, it's much more the nitty gritty of like these one-off cast members in shows that were huge, like Orange is the New Black or Gilmore Girls, who you think, oh, they should be living high on those residuals. Like I remember growing up being told like the boy who plays the sad Irish kid on the Titanic who's in like the movie for 30 seconds still gets residuals that are enough to pay for college like that was like Mm, (laughs) like, the idea was that if you get it you get if you get on any show you'll be good for life but that's just not true anymore and I think they're finally empowered to kind of like prove that point and on top of that you have this entire network of skeezy like um you know, uh, CEOs and uh, upper level people who are like, no, we're not making a profit. We're not making a profit. But then it's like, well, you are. You're personally making a huge amount of money. And so what's happening there? Oh, like- <laughs> yeah. And they're so they're just so bad at the yes. PR. Like they're bungling it on every level because there was this deadline article where one oh of them gosh, yeah. said, oh, yeah, we're just ho- holding out, waiting for the writers to start losing their houses and apartments. <laughs> and yes. obviously that went over terribly yeah. in the press. And and. The craziest thing is that I saw a story about it later that that it wasn't like a rogue person who gave that interview, like that they had discussed it ahead of time as sort of a strategy. (laughs) And there were some people in the group that were like, no, and some people that were like, yes, but they decided to do it. And then afterwards, they were all fighting because they were like, look, it made us look bad. And even the Bob Iger statement where he was saying oh, you know, it's unreasonable what these people are asking for. He said while he was at like this billionaire retreat with Mark (laughs) Zuckerberg. So it's like, you guys, you got to read the room here. Yes. Pseudo caring. And and the other wild thing is like, this is Hollywood, which is a pretty small industry. And while the actors and writers are on strike, everybody else is, sort of forced to be on strike because yes. they can't do anything, you know, yeah. like makeup artists, the costume designers. Yeah, sound. So yeah, these studios it. are going to have an entire industry worth of people who are pissed off at them, which is yeah. not good moving forward when they're trying to get work done. Uh, you know, like, yes, all of these craftsmen need the studios in order to 
get their movies out there. But at the same time, it's like the studios need all of these people to make these movies. And yeah, sure. Actors, there's 9 million of them. Like if you get rid of one, there's tons more, but some of these jobs are really niche. Like if you have lighting designers pissed at you and some, and, and someone doesn't want to work with you, it's not like there's a bazillion others of those to go to, you know, like you are sort of limited in what you have capacity for and even with like a-list actors you know like if people are pissed off at bob Iger and don't want to work for disney okay well then that Uh could lead to some uh you know a-list talent who doesn't want to be in movies yeah so well yeah it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out i mean this is the first time at the actors guild has gone on strike since i think the 60s or something um and if we were worried about, you know, Hollywood slowing down because the writers are on strike, I think it will be interesting to see the ripple effect, like long-term effect of this strike and how long it could go on. Because, yeah, it it's like jobs for everyone involved from catering up. And it's, and it's an entire network of entertainment that the world <laughs> probably takes for granted, but we'll soon realize like, oh, wait what do you mean there's no movie? What do you mean I don't get to see like Florence Pugh and something? So I think it'll be fascinating. Like even just looking short term, like the San Diego Comic-Con is this week or or this month and everyone's like kind of pivoting. Like there's been huge, there's been a huge loss of like their big stars. Like the cast of Dune is no longer showing up. They've canceled panels for like the jury duty cast and Abbott Elementary. Um, obviously, a lot of the DC and Marvel, like Disney, the major headliners are no longer going to be there, right? So it's interesting to think of the one powerful statement that makes and hopefully the pressure it puts to end the strike, but two, that it allows these maybe smaller, less um, dependent on the major um production companies to have the spotlight where these smaller films can finally get Mm -hmm. the headlines at comic-con instead of competing with whatever marvel's announcing at that day and so i think it'll be interesting to see what new talent comes like what what new influence there is um and kind of see how it all shakes out and hopefully the studios do listen because i don't think the general public realizes like what this could mean like because we are at this sort of precipice of a new age like with not just with streaming but a lot of the concerns for the sag is the conversation around ai and how a lot of these you know companies want to own a lot of content for ai and so there's like a lot of conversation around like the kind of legality and point of owning your likeness or signing away like your voice rights, you know, like that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. So I think it'll be fascinating to see not only how Hollywood shakes out, but kind of what this inspires across other labor unions as well. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think that the studios, like as much as they want to play hardball, yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like there's just so much going up against them right now that they're going to ha- that they're going to have to start you know, I hope so. Bending. And also I kind of think that with the actors, like there will there's a certain middle section of them who I think could really hurt if the strike goes on long. But yes. at the top you have all of these, you know, Hollywood A-listers who can last 
years. And then at the bottom, you have all of these people who have, you know, second, third jobs already who are used (laughs) to not making that much money from SAG. So I kind of think that and hopefully, you know, the top tier people, you know, are are putting money into the SAG fund and and things. And so this can go on for longer if need be. But I'm like, you know, the the studio heads sure are making a lot of money, but also there's a lot of people below them who are going to get pissed off, too, if they're not, yeah. you know, if if no money is coming in. So I kind of hope that the mutiny uh, comes large and quickly and Me that too. they have to revamp themselves. Yes. We love an uprising. We I love do. a coup. <laughs> I do. I'm all for it. Uh, similarly important to the zeitgeist mm. um, and uh, a coup, if you will. Um, Jonah Hill. <laughs> Jonah oh. Hill finally got his. Uh, thank goodness. Um, I, I saw this story start pretty early. I think I was on the cutting edge of this um, news breaking. Because um, Jonah Hill's ex-girlfriend, Sarah Brady, uh, early last like around the weekend started to just post her text conversations with him where he is basically telling her how to behave, like what pictures she should post, what he doesn't want her doing, who he doesn't want her acting out or going out with or hanging out with or working with and even being friends with. And she's like sharing all these. And I was like, damn, this is like, that's controlling, like toxic, abusive behavior. But it kind of whipped the internet into this frenzy where a lot of people were like showing their whole asses being like, um, no, he's just setting a boundary. <laughs> and I just have to say, the therapy speak being weaponized from the yes. general uh, population is honestly the most frustrating thing. And so I found this story so fascinating because it's just this cross-section of current issues Um where a lot of people, you know, they don't want to believe that emotional abuse is like worthy of commenting on or that it's real abuse. There's also this idea that, oh my gosh, texts are private. You should never share them. It's so inappropriate. Like that's just such a, you know, low move and you should just keep it to yourself. Move on. Like don't, he's in a marriage, he's married now or he has a baby now. Like you can't just like air his dirty laundry so you can stay popular or whatever. And then on top of that, you have this idea, well, no, Jonah Hill's like one of the good ones. He's in therapy. He's like doing so much for mental health. Wasn't it with you when we almost watched that random documentary of him and (laughs) Spock or whatever his stuts? And we got like five minutes and we're like, this is unbearable. I didn't realize it was going to be just him in a therapy session. Oh, I know. And it's like so like, like Jonah Hill, I haven't had problems with him because I find his sense of humor annoying and his general attitude annoying. But it wasn't like I expected him to be this like annoying to live with and and kind of to deal with. Because one of the major texts he sent is like, plain and simple, if you need surfing with men uh, to model, to post pictures of yourself in a bathing suit, to have friendships with women who are in unstable places and from your wild recent past, (laughs) then I am not the right partner for you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is just controlling toxic Uh, emotionally abusive behavior. It is not setting a boundary. A boundary would be him being like, you know what? I don't know if I'm in the right place to like date someone with a strong like Instagram presence. So I'm just not going to like, that's a priority for me. So I'm just going to screen out people based on that. That's a boundary. Boundaries are something you do for yourself to protect your mental health. It is not you telling someone what to do with their life. And um, he goes on with these crazy texts that are like, 
she's like sending him pictures of like, okay, I removed this picture. I removed this picture. Is that good enough? And he's like, oh, um, no, I don't think you're getting it yet, but good start. And it's just like, the thing, the thing with boundaries is like you put them up yourself and sort of like set a rule for yourself. And then if somebody, you know, can't accept that, then you sort of leave them by the wayside or don't interact with them. So if he wanted to set up this boundary, he could tell her like, hey, these are things that I am not looking for in a relationship. Mm -hmm. If you want to do them, that's great. But like, then I'm going to leave or whatever. And he Mm -hmm. has every right to to say that. But to try to like force her to do something, I feel like is, uh, yeah, that's trying to put a boundary on somebody else, which is not what we're looking for. And well, and also, it's especially ironic because he approached her through Instagram by liking one of yes. her bikini pics, and it's just like that's that's the you know the grain it's of truth so there. So much just insecurity, like, yeah. So much insecurity, and that there's he this, hasn't like, worked through with shots, like, yeah. Or there's sparks this or whatever his name there. was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just like oh, he's like weaponizing his own therapy. He's like he talks down to her. He uses all that like therapy speak to be like, oh, this is a boundary. Oh, it's my insecurity. Oh, it's my, like, you know, he uses his diagnoses or whatever to pressure her into behaving around him. And it's just like, it's just this weapon to kind of control their partner, his partner's life. And um, I don't think men going to therapy is the answer unless they're willing to work on themselves because it seems like Jonah Hill's like, I go to therapy to be validated. (laughs) I had like a mild panic attack in all of this because I was thinking, well, what if my therapist is just like, you know, agreeing (laughs) with me? I was like, I need to check in with him and be like, hey, buddy, I can't be the next Jonah Hill here. Like if I'm exhibiting signs of things, like you need to let me know. But I think my therapist is good. So I I think I'm okay, but let me know if uh, if anything (laughs) pops up. Well, I think it's, yeah. You know, there's a lot of bad therapists out there. Um, But it's also like, it's probably like, that's the thing is that if you go to therapy without any interest in feeling like you have work to do to interact with others, then you're going to get the validation you want because you're always going to be filtering your story through your lens. And so it seems the way he talked about his issues around like fear of, I don't even know, his like agoraphobia or whatever it's like I don't it's been interesting to see these other stories get attention again, like old news stories and interviews where he kind of like dismisses women's feelings, even his own sister. He like waves off the concern about him interacting with Kanye West after the anti-Semitism like rants. And mm. even in the documentary, he's like his therapist is like, oh yeah, I, I wanted to do this. I want to share my thoughts, but I also think you might be trying to like, control the narrative or whatever like and and even like watching the press with like seth rogan being like yeah jonah hill uh what do you say about it (laughs) like it's just like this general realization that maybe he's not one of the good ones yeah well and another one another celebrity who i feel like is in a similar grouping of people who put his foot in his mouth was um ben platt who you know, oh, no, the strike, the, the strike just it it should have come just a little bit earlier to keep him from doing <laughs> press for a theater camp. But alas, it did not. And so we had did this article with the Rolling Stone or with Rolling Stone where the 
interviewer asked him like, hey, so you were on the cover of the New York Magazine's edition of for Nepo Babies. Like, do you have any thoughts on this? <laughs> and he's sort of like, um, I, I want, want to talk about the movie. And then the PR person steps in and it's like, actually, like, we're not answering questions about this. We're just answering questions about the movie. And Rolling Stone, like, included that section of the transcript in the piece uh-huh. so that Ben Platt looks like he's like... <laughs> It's like, I'm not answering this. Like, and he looked so bad. And so then (laughs) that screenshot was going around Twitter as well. And I'm just like, these celebrities like have no understanding of how optics work. I mean, between like Bob Iger and Jonah Hill and Ben Platt, it's like they come from these super wealthy upbringings. They are so unself-aware. And then they get so butthurt when anybody is like saying anything about them where the correct response is like the Jamie Lee Curtis response of like, yeah, I'm an Apple baby. Like, sorry. Like that's (laughs) how life works. Like moving on, not to try to be like, no, I'm actually not. I I, I, I can't uh, be faced with this hard hitting question. Yeah. But Ben Platt's eternally annoying. So it's unsurprising to us. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I guess the other news is um, we get a Britney Spears memoir officially. Uh, oh yes i am trepidatious about this (laughs) yeah it's called the woman and me um 15 million who's writing this i don't think they announce ghostwriters well no but i'm just like what Uh, like i think everybody thinks we're gonna get this great britney spears tell-all memoir that's like you know coherent and and explains everything from her point of view and really like exonerates her and i'm like i think that this might be like gobbledygook <laughs> like, no, yes, I imagine like she obviously get, she's like, not Jessica writing it Simpson's and ghostwriter no, like i think that she i think the ghostwriter i'm sure is great but the ghostwriter is like working off of whatever she is telling them oh, and she sort of wants now. in it no, I'm not a Britney Spears hater. I'm just not sure that <laughs> the memoir Spears. is Simon's going Britney to Spears. is going to give a is like I'm not sure the memoir is what people think it's going right. to be. I think people think it's going to be this sort of like sharp, sharp acerbic takedown of like the conservatorship industry, and I'm just not sure that that is what is coming our way. And I feel like it might be more of a sort of rambly mess of different (laughs) thoughts. Well, the press release says it's a brave and astonishingly moving story about freedom, fame, motherhood, survival, faith, and hope. Yeah, exactly. That is giving me chaos. I think it's it's going to be like a different thing. I think it's going to be like... Oh, gosh. I think it's going to... And and there's a lot of like rumors around it. There's a lot saying that like, oh, actually it was delayed because like two major celebrities sent letters outlining legal concerns based on the content so they cough, have to screen Justin all this. Timberlake, cough. And I just think I think it's um going to be interesting. Um I do feel like she's proven to kind of have a strong perspective on what was done to her. Um and I think I don't know. I don't have concerns necessarily. Do I think it'll be like juicy in the same sense of like spilling every single 
I don't know. I, I, I feel like it'll be wa- pretty big. Yeah, I think that she'll want to spill yeah. as many details as possible. And what else do you want in a celebrity memoir? I guess, you know? <laughs> I guess that's true. The more gossip that... Yeah. Well, no, but we learned with Spare that sometimes there's too much. You no, know? I want... I love that <laughs> level of sharing. I want her to go into detail about how bad of a lover like Justin Timberlake is or something. You know, like I would mm. welcome any sort of millennial tea like that. But then also... I don't know. I think it will be interesting to see how she frames it all. And because her Instagram presence presence tends to be so like positive and optimistic and like, I just want to do what I want to do. I want to be happy. And it's like, well, will that mean that spins everything around her story to be more like positive, like the Drew Barrymore pseudo kind Mm. of Mm -hmm. memoir she did um so yeah it'll be interesting to see how it goes but uh, it's gonna be huge obviously yeah Uh, speaking of pop stars ariana grande uh broke up with her husband i guess yes they were married dalton gomez which i feel like isn't necessarily that surprising but and they were very private so we didn't really ever know too much about him to begin with but It, it is big news. Um, and but the, my favorite part about it is so the news dropped today that they had that they were getting a divorce. Presumably, this has been in the works for some time. And she was at Wimbledon over the weekend hanging out with love of my life, Jonathan Bailey, because they are both in the Wicked movie together and are now oh, besties. Right, right, right. And so it was it was giving a lot of like um I hate men, but I'm hanging out with my gay bestie now, which <laughs> I approve of. You know, the only thing that I need not to happen is for Jonathan Bailey to get anywhere near Frankie Grande. Like that combination <laughs> is like the hell on earth. Cursed, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Yeah, I felt nothing with this news. I'm, yeah, they're both I mean, very. We're not really are. Yeah, it's people. fine. Uh, we haven't talked about the Emmy noms. Do you have any? Oh takes, yeah, the feelings? Emmy nominations. I mean, I think that we have said this in the last couple of years about the <laughs> Emmys that the more TV there is, the less the Emmy people can watch, and so they just keep nominating the same things over and over again. Yeah, I feel like this. There wasn't a ton of surprises this year, except for just like how extreme. The white, no, (laughs) well, that as well, but just like the extreme counts because it was like White Lotus, Succession, The Bear, Abbott Elementary, um, Beef. You know, it was like the same, like seven shows got nominated in every category. Well, Ted Lasso, yeah, yeah, Ted Lasso, um, I can't, yeah, and so yeah, it doesn't feel like there will be a lot of surprises. I mean. It continues to – people were upset that the bear got placed as comedy and the White Lotus is a drama and they have the similar sort of like vibes. I didn't blink at the bear being a comedy because I laugh every single episode of that show. I think there is like a dependent – an intentional dependence on humor, not just like mm-hmm. not just like throwaway humor or like situational kind of character humor. Well, like especially with compared like to succession. like Barry that's a comedy, which I think is way darker <laughs> yeah. than the bear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what's going on with season three. I haven't, uh, I haven't given it a chance. But um, it does feel like – I feel like people – Obviously, I know why they're like, okay, we're going to submit every single person on this ensemble show for an Emmy, but I wish they'd be more choosy about it. 
I wish someone could make a choice because not everyone in White Lotus deserves a nomination and not everyone in like Succession probably deserves a nomination. Um, So it's more fun to see those sort of one-offs like um, all the different nominations for The Last of Us and those guest stars and Yellow Jackets getting some love or something like Andor, which is kind of one of those quieter shows. Um, but still like, yeah, but then like Obi-Wan got a bunch of nominations and <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? So that was weird. terrible. I think that the Emmys just needs to switch the way they do nominations yeah. from sort of everybody voting to a committee and have the committees be in charge of, you know, like specific types of things because there's just too much TV. And if you said, okay, this is the comedy committee. They have to watch, you know, the episodes of these, however many comedy shows, and you really had them focus on that, I think that you would get some more interesting nominations. Because the problem is, is that there's just not enough people watching certain shows. So it doesn't matter if the performances are good or the writing is good. They just can't get those votes. And so you have something like the other two or sex education um, that like has really good stuff in it, but just isn't like able to get, enough eyeballs on it where I think if you had a committee coming up with the nominations, then interesting, then, then that, I mean, that would probably filter out in the winners because you'd get a bunch of people nominated who are obviously not going to win. And so the winners I think maybe would be less climactic, but for example, the, um, I think it's the supporting actor in a drama category is entirely made up of people from, either the white lotus or succession yeah. and it's like were those shows great yes did they have a lot of great actors in them yes but at the same time like we like there were other good dramas yeah. that had good performances in them that are not being recognized because most people watched succession and most people watched white lotus this year and so when they're going through their ballots you know you're just getting more of those votes because those are things that people have seen yeah. where something like yellow jackets less people watched especially in the second season yeah or or you know like rogue shows yeah Yeah. that that aren't even they didn't get any nominations yeah so and it's also like kind of a weird year because like we've talked about they don't have it they don't have a show so uh what's gonna happen we don't know um it's because the nominations came out and they were supposed the the award season or the emmys themselves are supposed to take place in september but I think that's kind of been pushed back at this point or we don't really have a date because presumably the strike won't be done in time for them to put a show together between the writing that would need to be done and then also the um, actors and writers being there accepting awards and um, promoting it. So, yeah, we might not get an Emmys until much later. I just hope that the strike wraps up before the fall film <laughs> cycle you you're know? like i need to rub elbows with these celebs. not even need to rub elbows <laughs> i just don't want the movies delayed if yeah, dune yeah. 2 gets delayed so help me i, I will fly think... out to burbank and kill the warner brothers myself oh my gosh you can't <laughs> i think their warner brothers are dead i'm pretty sure they're like all oh, a million years old um, at this point i'm yeah, not gonna kill anybody i, I promise feel like, i feel like I would be surprised if they cancel any of the currently promoted shows, movies that have like release dates because it's like we already know Killers of the Flower Moon is coming out. We already know Dune's coming out. So there's already enough press that I think they can get by with just 
reporters talking about it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, whereas maybe some things that have yet to be announced might be held back a little differently. But it's also like they need I mean, to I have guess, something to get people to. I guess that watch makes movies. sense for the bigger movies, but like all of the smaller ones, I think are so dependent, especially in yeah. the award season. You know, you think about something like Banshees of Inisherin. It's like you need those actors to go around and do a lot of promotion for like five months in well, order to get that Well, but you really just need journalists to watch movies, right? Because if you guys aren't reading, if you guys aren't talking to celebrities, you still have to watch movies to like write yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. maybe yeah, it's an opportunity point. for... Maybe I'm the most important person yeah, in Hollywood exactly. is what you're saying. It's all dependent on you. It comes down to you also, and the parade. fun fact, right before this, I got approved to be a Rotten Tomatoes critic. Oh my God! So that's exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Like my reviews have been on Rotten Tomatoes like through the yeah, yeah. sites that I have written for. But now like I could come up with a random shitty blog. And oh my gosh. Go you could do Tomatoes. the PS You're Wrong blog. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Things to think about. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Well, please don't post any reviews without my for- consent <laughs> first because I'm like tied to you and I, I can't. I have some boundaries I need to enforce if you will yes yes the bound look if you plan to write positive things about west and post pictures and swimsuits then you cannot be my podcast partner and that's the boundary i'm setting (laughs) no i've been posting too many pictures and swimsuits lately i i'm like this i need to rein it in it's getting unwell um okay wait should we do love or hate it oh yeah okay let's do it uh, love it or hate it. Um, I honestly haven't been watching TV slash movies because we don't have a couch. And it turns out not having a couch makes it really hard to relax and watch anything. But Taylor Swift did release Speak Now, Taylor's oh, version. Oh, gosh. Dear Lord. I forget. Th- thank goodness you were gone because that came out and I was like, I don't have to listen to this. I was like, I don't, we don't, we're not <laughs> we doing an episode. We haven't done I a Taylor's version. I, yes, release. we did. Yes, we did. I swear we did. Because didn't one of so. them, one of them we definitely did because Blake Lively made like a music video for it, didn't she? Yes. And I had to watch it for the episode. I remember okay, like having yeah, to watch a couple music videos. True. Yes. Okay. But anyways, Taylor's <laughs> version speak now. Um, it was, I think it's good. And I've been listening to it. So I'm happy she did it because those happy songs. Happy to report. <laughs> yeah. You know, her voice is much stronger. She did change her slut shaming lyric, which I'm mad about. And I think it's silly. And Wait, what lyric is that? So in Better Than Revenge, which is about. Uh, Sluts. Yeah. <laughs> Camila. Cam- Camila. Camila Cabello? No, no, no. Uh, oh. Back in 2009. Um, what is her uh, name? Camille. So, Anyways, she's better known for the Kumail things that Nanjiani. she does on a mattress. Was the line? It's a song that's uh, and all who vicious. Was, and who was this about? It was Joe about Jonas and her were Joe dating, Jonas's... and Joe Jonas dumped oh. her and started dating the girl who is in um, When a Stranger Calls. Okay. And okay. possibly named Camille. Camille. Yeah, it's something. Camille Anyways, grammar. No, it's Camille. not. That's a real housewife. <laughs> it doesn't uh, matter. The point is, she changed the line, which is silly because the rest of the song is still. It, it just, it just perfectly encapsulates this enraged, uh, you know, unrighteous judgment of like feeling like you can blame a girl or be mad at the girl in a 
in a situation where a boy behaves bad. Is that a mature, level-headed thought? No. And Taylor Swift herself has commented on the song since and is like, yeah, that was back when I thought a girl could steal your boyfriend before I realized that that's not something that happens. And I think that song is so such a great, clever, snarky, salty, angry, teenage song. And she changed it without like – it's like either get rid of the song or own the song. You know yeah. what I mean? So now instead of saying one line where she says she's better known for the things that she does on a mattress, which is frankly a great and clever way to call someone a slut, she uh-huh. changed it to – he was a moth to the flame. She was holding the matches. And it's like, guys. What does that even mean? It's like, it's, it's trying to put it back on him. Yeah. But it's like, you're still singing a song about her. So it's like, what are you? The song starts yeah, she with like. Just cut, she should have just cut the whole album, honestly. That would have been my <laughs> preference. Get rid of it all. Yeah. And obviously, she also had Taylor Lautner show up in a music video, which was funny. Uh, oh, Taylor yes, Lautner is doing doing the best at being a, you know, one hit wonder style celebrity where he's like minding his business. Everyone still likes him and he gets to show up and do weird stuff with his uber famous ex-girlfriend. So happy for him. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, he is doing this exactly correctly. The winner is Taylor Lautner who somehow married another person named Taylor and now (laughs) there's three of them. Uh, (laughs) But anyways, what's your love it or hate it? My love it. Speaking of. <laughs> my, I have to hate it. It's speak now. I haven't listened to it, but I am uh, upset. No, my so my love it is also music this week. Ooh. It's um so I've been following this band called the Japanese House for a while. I actually think it might just be a one girl, but it's one of those situations where you know that's it's yeah, always yeah, confusing. It's hard to tell. Um, it's like if you're a real person and you're just one person and you're a singer, you should go by your name, or I guess you can come <laughs> up with a fake name, but it should be. It should not be a band name. It's like Dell Water yeah, Gap yeah, is always yeah. confusing. It's like, well, what? Anyways, yeah. so the Japanese House has a new album that's out called In the End It Always Does. And it's so freaking good. It's kind of like, it's similar, I think, to the 1975 energy, which is why mm. I like it. But it's just a girl singing and less problematic and a little bit more like, sad vibes than upbeat vibes like the 1975 like it's more of like their slow music kind of and I don't know I guess you'd call it like a synth electronic I don't know how to I don't know exactly how to categorize it but it's so good and I've just been listening to it constantly and Muna is on one of the tracks that's really good and there's this song called Sad to Breathe that's about like when somebody leaves and you're just so upset that you're sad to breathe the air that they're not in anymore um, that you know has been getting me through weepy feels and yeah it's just a really good solid album and I feel like I haven't had a like an album that I've been obsessed with recently i've just been going back and listening to old albums but it's nice to have like a new one on rotation because i love playlists but there's something nice about putting on like a full album while you're like working or something Mm -mm. and but i need it to be good if i'm gonna (laughs) do that i can't have it be like half and half yeah yeah and so i end up just playing a lot of fleetwood mac (laughs) when i'm when i don't have anything else but it's nice that i now have a new album that I can obsess over. So, well, congrats. Yeah. So, Thank you. people have options. You have Taylor Swift or 
Um, How many new songs is, are on Speak now? Because she re-recorded six. them. Okay. That's less than I thought. And she did yeah. one music video? Yeah. So she did one music video for one of the new songs. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. Are the new songs good? Do you like them? I like – I think <laughs> – so I was talking about this on Swiftish. Um, I feel like overall they're stronger, but the like – stand out new vault tracks are still on like I still think Mr. Perfectly Fine and All Too Well 10 Minute Version and like Nothing New are stronger standalones if that gotcha. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well this is or this is an er, earlier Yeah this is earlier. So album? this is well this right. is after Fearless. Um, okay. But it's um, yeah and they're like good. Speak Now has never been my favorite album overall. But um, it's definitely like like you described. It's easier to listen to in one sitting. There's not there's only like two skips on it, whereas something like Red or Fearless might have more skips overall. And so then we're left with we have the self titled album and debut. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm sort of. I mean, 1989 is my favorite one of her albums. So, like, yeah. whenever that version comes out, I'll definitely listen to it. The Taylor Swift, I don't care about at all. <laughs> uh, Reputation, I hate, but I think that whatever she like, that has a lot of fun promotional opportunities. Yeah. I think tied to it. So I sort of hope that she waits and does that, like when she's got nothing else going on, kind yeah. of you know, so she can really put her full self into whatever deranged shenanigans she comes up with on that front. Yeah. Well, she won't have any time because she's finishing up the U S leg in three weeks and then going to Europe and South America and might possibly announce Canada dates. So she's busy. She's booked through like next August, 2024. Wait, really? Yeah. When is the Europe tour? Then? It's all through. It's all like next yeah. summer. Yeah, it's just a huge okay. tour. So she's got the winter off. So she's she... doing. She has like November off, and then I think March off. Like she doesn't. Okay. Have, she has strangely big gaps then. So she's going to South America during yeah, the yeah. winter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yes, because yeah. it's another hemisphere. Okay, yeah, that exactly. makes sense. Exactly. Okay. Well. So um, yeah. Ship her off. (laughs) I think the Easter eggs point to 1989 being next. And I feel like I could see her doing that this year still. Um, But yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sort of feels like it's something that could be. um, I mean, she's also probably incentivized to get these out while she's on tour. So she can sell all of the albums and whatnot and add whatever new songs to the tour. Has she added the new Speak Now songs in? Yeah. So she added Long Live to the set. It seems to be a permanent stand now. And I think it has been like Speak Now. Is that the music video one? No, no. That's that's one of her classic like fan favorites, like emotional, like, you know, big old anthem. Yeah. and Speak Now has done surprisingly well. Like it, it's debuted at number one. She has like five albums currently, like on you know the Billboard Top Hundred or whatever. It's a huge. It's surprising that she's able to keep that momentum on this like third version, third re-release, and also one she didn't really promote that heavily compared to Fearless and Red. Um, so 
I can see her being like, well, you know what? Let's do, uh, let's get these done, you know? Like, why not? <laughs> she doesn't have to do as much work as she maybe thought to get, to get those number ones these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay, well, this has been a long episode, I but I guess we had a lot to talk to and we haven't <laughs> been talking for a while, but we'll be back on Thursday with a new episode discussing Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1, the longest title in the entire universe, and also possibly the longest movie in the entire universe. Um, <laughs> well, I think Dune would like a word, but sure. Uh, no, but Dune is so good. Okay, we'll be back on Thursday. Thanks for listening. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.